the bulletin, which is immediately below, and open up your Bibles to the 23rd chapter of Luke. Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. We'll begin in verse 33 and then read through to chapter 24, verse 9. Hear now the reading of God's word. When they came to the place called the skull, Golgotha or Calvary. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saves others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanging there was hurling abuse at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, do, not, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action, a man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever laid. It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. 
But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Let's pause one more moment to pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would send the same Holy Spirit who inspired these words to be written down long ago. Send him to work within us now as we consider, study, and feed upon your word. We pray in your great name. Amen. So if you notice, the sermon text for today is really just half of a verse. The very last sentence in Luke chapter 23, the last half of verse 56, and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandments. Have you ever thought about the day between the crucifixion and the resurrection. What it must have been like to observe the Sabbath on the day in which the Lord of the Sabbath was dead in a tomb. We are provided with the opportunity to think about that last Sabbath day, the last Saturday Sabbath, the last Sabbath of the Old Testament. We are invited to consider it together through this last half of the last verse in Luke chapter 23. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandments. Well, just look at uh, two different things. The last Saturday Sabbath, the last Sabbath of the Old Testament, and then the first Sunday Sabbath, which follows right after the first, the first Sabbath of the New Testament. And that's what goes on between these two chapters. The last Sabbath of the Old Testament, the first Sunday Sabbath of the New Testament, an opportunity to realize that when we worship on Sunday, we are always celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, something that began on that first Easter Sunday all the way back then and continues on to this day and is reflected even as we gather this day. But we will think about that last Saturday Sabbath, that very last Sabbath of the Old Testament when they observed the Sabbath according to the commandments. Can you think about how lonely how sad, how disappointing, even how despair-filled that last Sabbath of the Old Testament must have been. Jesus Christ had built up a gathering of disciples, disciples that he himself called, even calling them away from their 
worldly employment, saying, follow me. We read through the gospel accounts that these disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ recognize all sorts of things about this Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That he spoke with authority, unlike the scribes and the Pharisees. Not only did he preach with authority, speak with authority, reveal mysteries of the word of God, speak about how he himself was a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. But he was heralded by John the Baptist, a a real soul, a real person. The last prophet of the Old Testament had come and said, don't look to me, look to the one who comes after me, even Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the people, of his people. No doubt the disciples had heard about his miraculous birth, that a virgin had conceived and gave birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. These disciples not only witnessed the heralding of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ himself speaking and preaching with authority, unlike the scribes and the Pharisees, but they saw that he had a supernatural authority, an otherworldly authority, an authority that he could extend at will over demons, casting out demons supernaturally, that that authority extended to overcome diseases, even the worst of diseases like leprosy, that that otherworldly divine authority extended even to nature, that he could speak to a storm and calm would result. The disciples observed all of these things. And it it doesn't stop there. His disciples would observe this Lord Jesus Christ saying to other people, your sins are forgiven. Have you thought about how very different that is? Each of us, on one level or another, knows what it is to be sinned against and then have that person who's sinned against you come and say, please forgive me, and you say, you're forgiven. But could you imagine any one of you walking up to somebody else, somebody that you've just met, and saying, your sins are forgiven? That's not a right or a privilege that belongs to you. You're you're not permitted to do that. You don't have the authority to go up to somebody and say, don't worry, your sins are forgiven. That belongs to God alone. Authority over demons, disease, the weather, preaching and teaching with authority, endowed even with the authority to say, your sins are forgiven. Disrupted the lives of these disciples, telling them to follow him, to become his immediate audience over the years of his public ministry. What was it like for them on this last Sabbath of the Old Testament when the body of the one whom they professed as Lord and Savior 
was decomposing in a tomb. What was it like for those disciples that had left all to follow him? To have his crucifixion emblazoned in their minds. Celebrating the Sabbath according to the commandments. While Christ was buried. Think about those words that we read from John the Baptist. Remember that uh, John the Baptist seems to have had a, a moment of doubt when he was in prison. And he sent messengers to the disciples of Jesus saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And that made its way to Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What's Jesus saying to his disciples there? John's asking, are you the one who is to come? And Jesus is saying, yes. Here's the, the best proof that I am the one who is to come. I am a fulfillment of prophecy. I am raising the dead. I am preaching good news. I'm making the deaf hear. I'm giving blind, the blind sight. Imagine what it would have been like for the disciples to stop and think, you know, maybe there was something to what John was asking. Was he really the one who is to come? Because he died on a cross and now he's buried. And we're left with the commandment to honor the Sabbath when the Lord of the Sabbath is dead and buried. You remember Peter's great confession at that point where Jesus was asking his disciples, saying, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And Peter nails it. And he says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Christ means Messiah. You are the coming one, or the one who was to come. You are the one who has come. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. You are the, the, the divine Messiah, the long-expected prophet who is prophesied of old. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You can imagine what Peter was thinking on that last Sabbath day, the last Sabbath of the Old Testament, saying, Did God the Father really reveal that to me? Is he the Christ? Is he the Son of God? I didn't know the Son of God could die on a cross and decompose in a tomb. Think about all the statements that Jesus Christ made. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I and the Father are one. How can this be when he's buried and dead? Think about what we looked at last week 
Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, when Jesus was recognized as the king that he is. Remember that this was earlier in the week. We're looking at the last Sabbath of the Old Testament, the last Saturday Sabbath. Think about what had happened on the first day of the week, the Sunday of that week. He was riding along and people were finally recognizing the Son of God as the king that he is, spreading their cloaks on the road, spreading palm branches on the road, and worshiping him. A whole multitude of disciples rejoicing and praising God with a loud voice, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. For that moment, earth recognizing what heaven and the myriads of angels in the heavens recognized at his birth. And just six days later, on the last Sabbath of the Old Testament, that one who they professed as king, who they worshipped as coming in the name of the Lord, the one who would bring heaven and glory in the highest, had been crucified and was buried. Now even consider some of the events around the cross. You remember that immediately after Jesus was betrayed, Jesus reminded his disciples of something fascinating. He said to them, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? Disciples, don't you understand? If the will of God was for me to be delivered from Golgotha's cross, don't you know I could ask and my Father would send myriads of angels, armies of angels, heavenly hosts to save me, a supernatural army to deliver me? And you can imagine the disciples on this last Saturday Sabbath saying, why didn't he do that? He's the king that was worshipped just this past Sunday. He has the supernatural army at his disposal. Why did he go and bleed and die on the cross and be buried? That's not becoming of God. Even in the text that we've read, you know, you read this blasphemous mocking of Jesus Christ on the cross from the rulers, nearing at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And I think we rightly recognize that as blasphemy, but you can imagine the women and the disciples observing that Sabbath, that last Saturday Sabbath, you can imagine them saying, why didn't he save himself? Why did he spend his whole life saving other people, even raising the dead, and then going to his own death willingly, dying the death of a common thief on a Roman cross? And no death that sort of didn't last long, but even to undergo the 
humility of having his body buried by others. Why didn't he save himself? We actually get a window into the depths of what these disciples must have been enduring on that last Sabbath of the Old Testament in chapter 24, verse 8. Leading up to that, beginning in verse 6, we read, He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And we read, And they remembered his words. See, Jesus Christ had prophesied his own coming death and resurrection. But as we read about the three different times he did this in the Gospel of Luke, we read that it it didn't really connect with them. It was concealed from them. It was hidden from them. It didn't actually make its way into their consciousness. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, it didn't occur to them that he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy and Christ's own prophecy and that he was going to rise again from the dead. That was hidden from them. They had forgotten that Jesus Christ had prophesied about that. And for our purpose today, it illuminates how dark, how bleak, how lonely, how despairing, how depressing, how discouraging that last Sabbath must have been when they observed the Sabbath according to the commandments, but the Lord of the Sabbath's body was in the tomb. And all of that is the glorious, dramatic, contrasting backdrop to the first Sunday Sabbath, the first Sabbath of the Old Testament, the first Sabbath of the New Testament, the first Sunday that was celebrated as a Sabbath, the first time the Sabbath was celebrated on the first day of the week. And I want to just make a a little bit of a a note here. I realize it's not quite so straightforward, but um, when you're asked, why do you think that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead? One of your answers can be every Sunday's worship service. A few weeks back, my wife and I had the privilege of uh, going and visiting Chicago. And you're not in Chicago long before you notice the Chicago River. And as you learn anything about the Chicago River, one of the first things you'll be told is that something dramatic happened to the Chicago River in the year 1900, which is that the current of the Chicago River was completely reversed engineers figured out how to lock various channels around the Chicago River, and instead of the current going one way, the current started going the exact opposite way, and it's been going the opposite way ever since. Something similar happened with the Sabbath. From the beginning of creation, you remember from the book of Genesis, the Sabbath was the last day of the week. And then through divine engineering, God changed the current for the rest of history. Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And saints 
started worshiping not on the last day of the week, but on the day of creation and recreation, the first day of the week, celebrating the resurrection. Why did the current change if there wasn't something to change it? It didn't just happen on the Chicago River. It was through engineering, through divine engineering, the current change from the Sabbath being on the last Saturday, the last day of the week, a Saturday, to being the first day of the week, the Sunday, the day that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And can you imagine what that day was like? Everything that we've walked through, all of those thoughts that must have gone through the various disciples of Jesus Christ, through their minds, through the women's minds, through Peter and the eleven, through the other disciples. We really thought he was the prophet. We really thought he was the son of God. He led us to believe he was the son of God. He worked miracles like we've never seen before. He preached like nothing we've ever seen before. And he's risen. He's not there. The tomb is empty. They remembered what the Lord said in each of those different prophecies. It came to their mind, oh, that's what he was talking about. He kept saying he was going to have to go to Jerusalem and that he was going to die at the hands of men, but then that he would rise again from the dead. Do you see this? What happened, brothers and sisters, was too good to be true. It was too good for them to believe. On that last Sabbath of the Old Testament that they celebrating celebrated according to the command, you get the feeling that they say, well, all we've got is the command. I guess we should observe the Sabbath day. Kind of hard when the Lord of the Sabbath's body is in a tomb. Doesn't make a lot of sense to us right now. What a lonely, dark Sabbath. And then on the first day of the week, they realized that this was by divine planning, divine engineering all along. They didn't dare to have such high hopes. It was grander than any of their expectations. But then they remembered what the Lord Jesus Christ had said, that he had prophesied this about himself and fulfilled it through rising again from the dead on the first day of the week. Have you ever thought about the day between the crucifixion and the resurrection? You know, it changes everything. Think about where you are. I understand that you, Jesus Christ died on that Good Friday, rose again from the dead on the first day of the week, a Sunday. But recognize that you right now are between Christ's crucifixion and your own eventual resurrection. And in that sense, you can learn from what's going on with these disciples on that last Sabbath that they observed according to the commandment. It changes everything. Even when it's too late, God is going to fulfill his promise. Even when it's impossible, 
God will demonstrate that nothing is impossible with him. In your experience, when all you can think of is depressing, despairing, grievous thoughts, when you, in one way or another, asking, how can this possibly be working together for good? How can a good God make this right? How can God take such an unhappy occasion and bring it to a point of worship rejoicing and delight? Apply it to the most grievous things in your life, friends, relatives who are not yet safe in Jesus, children who have renounced the faith and left the church and our prodigal children. Take that pain, that anguish. Think about disease and death and the harrowing reality that we are not only approaching our own bouts with disease, which will result eventually in death, but along the way, we see disease and death in friends, in parents, in brothers and sisters, sometimes even in sons and daughters. And take all of that anguish, all of that grief, Go to that last Sabbath of the Old Testament and realize that its message to you is those disciples couldn't see how. It was beyond their memory. They didn't remember the word of the Lord that he was going to rise again from the dead and that the greatest day of human history, the most joyful day of human history, would hinge on the last Sabbath of the Old Testament. Bring all your grief, anxiety, all of your disappointment, all of your despair to that day and realize your God is the one who works the very impossible. He brings hope into what no one else could bring hope into. He raises the dead. He brings resurrection on the heels of death. Think of that one verse that we all know so well. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Think about those disciples on that last Sabbath of the Old Testament and how they didn't remember the word of the Lord and how in various ways the truth of that verse, Romans 8.28, is something that we don't remember. How could it possibly be? It's too good to be true. Not this grief. Not this fiasco. Not this death. Not this disease. We see an invincible divine 
hope, a hope you cannot find anywhere else, a hope that comforts us in life and in death as we recognize Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. With God, all things are possible. Father in heaven, Bring us to rejoice in what you and you alone have done, are doing, and will certainly do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.